to the lightning round. Welcome, welcome. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to uh, episode six of the Dave Kirshner Lightning Round podcast. It is week 10 in the 46th Quadrennial Hunger Games, and I am your host, Dave Kirshner. All right, let's get to it. Politics, 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 politics. Yes, the Roman Senate. The Roman Senate is the best legislature that money can buy so i was listening to uh charlie kirk today i was out running some errands and and uh he was on the local conservative talk radio uh, and he was talking about how much dark money there was um and they had he, he mentioned the the news organization that published this information and it was Basically, to the tune of about a billion dollars of dark money, and I'm flashing air quotes, dark money, uh, went into the, the elections of 2020. Most of it went to Democrats, as one can imagine. So what I don't understand is, if you're going to give money... For to the DNC or to the GOP or to a candidate directly, uh, you have to disclose your. I thought you had to, you know, you couldn't do it anonymously. I guess is what I was. I don't know. Maybe you. Maybe you can. I don't. I'm, I, I don't know enough about it. So, but uh, what Charlie Kirk said just kind of stuck with me. That um, of the billions of dollars that were funneled into these super PACs, dark money, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was almost, I think he said five to one Democrat to Republican uh, in terms of where that money went, which is not surprising because for four years we had to endure a, a temper tantrum by a bunch of toddlers and, you know, orange man bad, Russia, Russia, Russia. And just, you know, and, and that actually that begs the question, you know, because the left constantly was at our throat, screaming in our ears, spitting in our face that and Rachel Maddow, you know, crazy Rachel on uh, what's Larry Elder color or call that MSMB haw. <laughs> I always think that's funny. MSMB haw. So, uh she she espoused for four years that uh, Trump was a Russian plant. He was bought and paid for by uh, Vladimir Putin and that Trump had uh, laundered the money that he was getting from Russia through Deutsche Bank and all this crazy nonsense. And um, so Charlie Kirk pivoted from the, the dark money conversation and... and was wondering more out loud than anything else, um, you know, who's actually in charge, right? So for four years we heard, oh, well, Putin's in charge because Trump is a puppet. Um, and now that Biden's in there, he asks a legitimate question, who's in charge? And he asks it 
because during Biden's press conference yesterday, or Thursday, I don't know when you're going to listen to this, um, Biden was using crib sheets, basically. He was, he was cheating. He was looking at notes. He was looking at White House-driven talking points. And I just don't understand where this guy's coming from. And, it, you know, I watched it. And, and so I was interested to hear what Charlie Kirk had to say about it. And uh, he, he observed, he was like, you know what, who's in charge? Because it's obvious Biden has no idea what's going on. Whether you want to say it's cognitive decline or not, um, it's apparent. Anybody who's had a loved one that has gone through Alzheimer's, dementia, uh, Parkinson's, you know, a lot of these diseases and, and conditions now, they, they, really, they really eat away at, at the mind and what the mind perceives and what the mind tells your body is capable of. Um, my mother, who passed away five years ago, she, she had something in addition to having um, dementia. She had a condition called gait apraxia. The, and and basically what it did was it her brain had con, had become convinced that if she picked up her feet for anything more than the transition from hardwood or linoleum to carpet she was going to trip and fall and break a hip and that's what that kind of disease will do to people and when I see Joe Biden literally falling down as he goes up a flight of stairs, um, you know, maybe he tripped. Maybe he didn't pick his foot up high enough. I, I don't know. But I just find it uh, interesting that, that Charlie Kirk would be talking about this. And um, so I thought, you know what, I, everything that that guy's doing just is driving me crazy. But, um, you know, it just... We'll get into this, and then you're going to understand what I'm talking about. So, it, I guess it was a episode two. We talked about stocks, and we talked about the markets, and we talked about those things. So, since Joe Biden has been in office, the stock market actually it's, it's gone up, it's gone down, it, it's all over the place. And mostly it's because there's no direction coming out of the White House. The investors don't know what to do. Um, other countries don't know what to do because they don't know where the guy stands. And that was partly due because he never had a press conference. He never laid out what his plan or vision was for his four years in office. Oh, by the way, during his press conference, he said he would be running for re-election in 2024. Right. I, I will swear on a stack of Bibles and you will have to take me to the grave to try and convince me that the left's plan all along was for Joe Biden to make it at least two years before he stepped down, either because he got uh, ensnared in Hunter Biden drama or... 
they finally admit to cognitive decline, uh, whatever it is, he needs to serve at least half his term so Comrade Kamala can serve two full terms of her own plus half a Joe's. That's ten years that they want to try and, and grab a hold of power. Ten years. No thank you. So, it it comes as no surprise that after the shootings in Atlanta and then the shootings out in Colorado, no good crisis can go to waste, so now the Dems are pushing gun control. So much so that uh, Biden is wantingly petitioning vocally for the SCOTUS that's the Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS, um, to allow police officers to enter your home without a warrant, without probable cause, the Fourth Amendment no longer exists, so they can come in and seize your guns. No joke. That's what he wants to do. Uh, he filed, a, uh, the Biden administration filed an amicus brief, and it was part of, uh, it was, they filed an amicus brief uh, and urged the high court to uphold a lower court's ruling in the case Coniglia versus Strom, um, in which the gun owner, they said, posed a danger to himself, uh, and they used that as a pretext to seize his weapons. That dovetails nicely into a ruling that just came out of the Supreme Court where a convicted felon who admittedly was high as a kite on meth or in some sort of amphetamine um, fled from police officers who actually weren't there to arrest her. They were looking for somebody else, but they were approaching her car to verify that the person in the car was not, in fact, the person they were looking for. And as they approached, the woman who was high, out of her mind, claims that she thought they were carjackers. So she started the car and tried to evade the police. In the process... She more or less almost ran over some of them, thinking that the person in the car was their suspect that they were trying to arrest. The police opened fire and she got shot. Sounds like it's open and shut case to me. But no. The woman appealed and filed... So this was in 2014. And now the SCOTUS is ruling on this, saying that uh, the officers, by shooting the suspect as she fled, violated her Fourth Amendment rights for, him, for uh, search and seizure. They're saying that by shooting her, that counts as seizure. You're trying to stop her from fleeing. Do you believe that? She gets shot for doing something stupid like trying to run over cops and trying to get away from cops 
And oh, by the way, there was an open active warrant out for her arrest. So they would have gotten her and the other suspect they were looking for, they would have gotten a twofer. One bird, two birds, one stone type deal. So the cops or the Supreme Court now says, well, that you you violated her rights when you shot her because that being shot counts as seizure. <laughs> I wish I could. Oh. So <laughs> Justice Gorsuch wrote the uh, the dissent. Oh, and by the way, uh, it was the Supreme Court Justice um, John Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh, joined with the three liberal justices in rendering this opinion. Now, they didn't say that the suspect had a winnable case. They simply said, we leave open on remand any questions regarding the reasonableness of the seizure, the damages caused by the seizure, and the officer's entitlement to qualified immunity. All we decide today is that the officer seized Taurus by shooting her with intent to restrain her movement. Uh-huh. But Justice Gorsuch, he wrote the dissent for uh, the other four justices and said that the ruling relied on a novel interpretation of the Fourth Amendment and greatly expanded what law enforcement officers could be held liable for. Quote, the majority holds that a criminal suspect can be simultaneously seized and roaming at large. On the majority's account, a Fourth Amendment seizure takes place whenever an officer merely touches a suspect. End quote. So, <laughs> he, went, he went on further. I'm sorry, I, I didn't read the rest of it. Uh, quote, it's a seizure even if the suspect refuses to stop, evades capture, and rides off into the sunset never to be seen again. This view is as mistaken as it is novel. Until today, a Fourth Amendment seizure has required taking possession of someone or something. To reach a contrary judgment, the majority must conflate a seizure with its attempt and confuse arrest with a battery. In the process, too, the majority must disregard the Constitution's original and ordinary meaning, dispense with our conventional interpretive rules, and bypass the main currents of the common law. End quote. <laughs> so Gorsuch basically said, you guys are a bunch of friggin' idiots. <laughs> that bullet counts, the bullet entering my body counts as seizure. Because you're trying to stop me, so when you shoot me, then, whoa, hey man, <laughs> what a stupid, just stupid. And since we're on the subject of, of uh, firearms, um, with the seizing of weapons, uh, the remanding and, and removal of the Fourth Amendment, um, so this is an article in the American Military News that a friend of mine sent me. Said, and not surprisingly, it's the Ninth Circuit, the most liberal, overturned circuit 
in the country. <laughs> but an an en banc panel from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit has ruled that the Second Amendment only applies to hearth and home, and that the government can regulate a person's ability to carry arms in the public square, and that in doing so, it does not infringe on the rights of an individual to defend his home or business. <laughs> so this case is in Hawaii, uh, where somebody out there was challenging a Hawaii, the Hawaii law uh, regarding open carry. But the appeals court took it one step further and they said, well, that basically that, that the case was he had to show, uh, he had to show cause that, um, he had to demonstrate the urgency or the need, uh, to carry a firearm must be of good moral character. It must be engaged in the protection of life and property. The court said there is no right to carry arms openly in public, nor is any such right within the scope of the Second Amendment. Oh, I smell a SCOTUS ruling, and Hawaii might have to change their laws. Because if they're going to say that the Second Amendment does not exist when you step out of your home, they got a big problem. Big problem. We cannot entrust national security to teenagers unless I missed a policy paper. Are we doing that now? No. Good. And my last article regarding firearms, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment, all kinds of fun stuff dealing with... I'm telling you, man, they just... When they, when they have their eye on something, man, it is just a friggin' pig pile. It just... They just it, it's unrelenting what they do when they get even a modicum of power. But, so this last one deals with the ATF. And the ATF is meeting with the uh, several gun manufacturers um, because the guns that are being used for various crimes are what they are classifying as ghost guns. We talked about this in previous episode, ghost guns are basically um, an unfinished uh, lower receiver. Well, you know, what it says is that the ghost gun, the, the key building block for a ghost gun is a metal or polymer piece that houses the firing mechanism known as an unfinished receiver. Now, you can buy the unfinished receiver because it's not classified as a firearm. A finished receiver requires the 4473 because it's classified as a firearm. It's it's a finished piece of work capable, once assembled, of firing a, a, a bullet around a cartridge. And so what the ATF and the Biden administration is asserting is that People are buying these unfinished receivers and then drilling them out with a drill press or a computerized metal cutting machine. And then they just add the remaining pieces to, uh, to make it operable. They add the firing mechanism. But because it's unfinished, it's not stamped. 
and because it doesn't have a stamp, serial number, etc., uh, it's it's considered a ghost gun. So there you have it. So let's go back to uh, the Biden administration. So basically, for the better part of their entire administration, they have said that there is no border crisis. None. It doesn't exist. Well, now they're at least admitting that, that hey, there's, there's something going on, but we're not quite sure what. So, <laughs> they put Comrade Kamala in charge of fixing the problem at the border. <laughs> she's just going to show up with a little magic eraser and she's literally just going to erase the border because she is an open borders proponent and that is that's like putting the fox in the hen house it's ridiculous and there's something else too so <laughs> um race hustler al sharpton is and this kind of dovetails into Kamala Harris as well. He is saying that because West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema, he says that because they support the filibuster, they're racist. The filibuster is racist. Therefore, if they are for the filibuster, meaning they don't want to get rid of it, then by proxy, they're racist too. And it's just ridiculous that somehow a government mechanism is now racist. And it's important to note because uh, the filibuster is in place in a Senate that's evenly split 50-50. So if Manchin and Cinema don't vote with the Democrats then it's 52-48, and then Comrade Kamala doesn't get to cast the deciding vote as president of the Senate. And this is important, and the libs, the liberals want to get rid of this because most bills and legislation requires a 60-vote threshold in order to advance it out of the Senate and onto Biden's desk. But if they get rid of the filibuster, then they can go 50-50, Kamala cast the deciding vote, 51-50, then we get screwed as an American people. And this is important to note because the, the left, Pelosi, Biden, all of them, they are going to try and shoehorn in what amounts to a stimulus check for the government in the form of a $3 trillion infrastructure package. That's why they want the filibuster gone, so that they can get that through and on to Biden, so Biden can sign it and spend another $3 trillion. I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know how much longer... You know, if, if we keep spending this money like like it's water, if we keep with this level of spending, whoo boy, 
we're gonna have a we're gonna have a doozy of a of a financial problem on our hands because they just keep writing checks and there's no money in the account but other countries are picking up our debt like it's tic tacs and it is just gonna be a mess and the, de the Democrats they don't care not one scintilla do they care nope and and speaking of of COVID <laughs> the former head of the CD, CDC uh, Dr. Robert Redfield he was being interviewed on uh, on CNN of all places but uh, he went on the on the record while being interviewed at the uber liberal network and he said in his opinion as a viral virologist viral virologist i don't know that he thinks that the coronavirus as a pathogen a respiratory pathogen likely infected one of the workers at the um, the Wuhan Institute of Viro Virology. Virology. Say that one five times fast. And he said it's not uncommon for a respiratory pathogen to infect a worker in the lab. And to him, that does not imply intentionality. But it's his belief that this infected lab worker likely was going about their business in Wuhan and wound up infecting people. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, uh, quote, I do not believe this somehow came from a bat to a human. And at that moment in time that the virus came to the human became one of the most infectious viruses that we know in humanity for human to human transmission. I just don't think that makes biological sense. <laughs> and he went on to say that the person likely started spreading the virus around Wuhan in September of 2019. But not that many people were getting infected. They were surviving. They had flu-like symptoms. So it didn't rise to the level of Oh, crap, until December. So, and then the last two things I just thought were funny. Um, one was this <laughs> trans woman <laughs> is accusing the, the TSA of being transphobic. Um, because she looks like a woman. They sent her through the line for women, I guess. They have separate... Separate machines for men and women at this particular airport. And <laughs> she goes through, and the screeners are like, do you have something in your pockets? She said, no. And <laughs> then she had to say, well, I'm, I'm transgender. <laughs> and, and the lady, the TSA lady who was running the women's line said, well, do you need to go through the men's line? And she said, no, I don't want to do that. 
And I guess at some point she went through the men's line and because of her breast implants, she lit up the machine. <laughs> I read this and I just, I was like, wow. So apparently because she, she still has he parts. <laughs> TSA must be transphobic because... They made her go through the line for women and then questioned why she had he parts. <laughs> uh, things that just make you go, huh. <laughs> and then my other oddity, which actually made me laugh, which I can't really read you what was said because it's basically a pilot for Southwest. He's, he's taxiing to get out of... Uh, <laughs> he's he's taxiing to get out of uh San Francisco and apparently he started dropping some, some rather <laughs> mature language. I don't think he realized that his uh mic was transmitting to the tower because he was basically saying effing weirdos probably driving around in effing Hyundai's not it's just he goes, you don't have a set of balls unless you're effing rolling coal. <laughs> Apparently somebody heard it, they recorded it, and now Southwest has said, Yeah, that's one of our pilots. <laughs> and well, you can guess one of two things gonna happen. Either they're probably gonna bow to the mob and that guy's gonna get fired for being intolerant toward liberals. Or he's going to find himself in some <laughs> mandated sensitivity training. <laughs> oh, good times, man. I love the times we're living in. <laughs> oh, and uh, one more. Actually, I have one more thing. The, uh, the Wisconsin Assembly passed a resolution authorizing an investigation into the 2020 election. And... So that's a good thing. The Wisconsin resolution was unanimously passed by state Republicans with predictably every Democrat in opposition. <laughs> the resolution gave the, the Wisconsin Assembly the authority to issue subpoenas to compel testimony and collect documents. So the we're making progress, um, and, and I, I firmly believe that uh, the election was stolen. I believe that, and I believe the Dems cheated, and everything that we're doing in the court systems, in all of these different states, making sure that the the state attorney general or the secretary of state in these particular states, they're following the letter of the law every election now because we, we, we caught them. But nobody wanted to do anything while the damn election was still being contested. But we caught them, and now we're making sure that they can never cheat like this again. So I'm curious to see what they try and pull in 2022. And again, in 2024, what kind of mechanisms they put in place. Uh, because you know that 
any GOP poll watcher is going to tell them to take a flying leap when they try and get them out of the room and say, oh, we're, we're locking up for the night. They'll know you are not. We're not leaving until you're standing outside locking the door and we're watching you do it. And then we're going to leave a person right across the street in a car all the way around the building and we're going to be watching every door and making sure you don't come back in the middle of the night. That's what's going to happen. That's what elections have come to now. So it's going to be real interesting. All right, let's take a break. And now we pause for some shameless self-promotion. Do you want to know more about what makes me tick? Then go to my website at davidjkirshner.com and read about my latest adventures on the blog, discover what books and websites I recommend, download my research white papers, find the latest episode of the podcast, and discover more recipes that were not in my Just a Small Gathering book. Or perhaps you want to contact me for advice, ask a question, or make a suggestion? Then go to the contact page of my website at davidjkirshner.com. Best of all, everything is free. Now back to the show. All right, so now that the news is out of the way, which is sad and pathetic and all-encompassing, and <sighs> Biden sucks. Really, this whole administration's crap. So, <clears throat> last week I said we were going to start covering the, the Federalist Papers. Um, so, what we're going to do is we're going to start with Federalist number one. Uh, there are 85 of them. <laughs> so, if I do this, and I'm, you know... Not every week, but when I do this, I got 85 talking points. <laughs> I do like to talk, so hold on. Anyway, um, so what are the Federalist Papers? Um, basically, they were written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and another guy which, aside from the Federalist Papers, I'd never heard of him, a fellow named John Jay. I'm going to have to do some more research on him. But anyway, um, they wrote 85 essays, basically, and they published them in various uh, New York newspapers. And they were basically letters to the people of New York, the layperson all the way to the governor, and they were written for the sole purpose of convincing them to ratify the United States Constitution. Now you got to remember, so we just finished the Civil War. We've had a Continental Congress kind of running things. Um, there were a lot of people that weren't happy about that with how it was being run. Uh, you had private citizens basically funding the, the war effort, funding the Continental Congress. So... A group of representatives from all of the states at that time got together in Philadelphia during the summer of 1787, and they drafted the United States Constitution. But as part of that document, it has to be ratified by the states. So each of the 85 papers, essays, uh, all contained the byline of Publius, which is Latin for public. Um, 
the left really hates these documents because they spell out how each section of the Constitution is supposed to work. It's a roadmap. And if you're an originalist, when you read the Constitution, you're generally reading the Constitution and the corresponding Federalist paper that, that talks to that section or speaks to that section. And the left hates it. They wish that Hamilton and Madison and John Jay never wrote these these documents because anybody that wants to try and usurp power from the people who give the government the power that they have via elections, the left does not like that at all. So let's start with Federalist number one. And it's basically, it's an introduction. It's written by Alexander Hamilton. And in it, he basically says, look guys, I know you're all grumbling. I've heard it. And I don't care. Shut up. Here's what is in the Constitution. I'm going to write all of these essays with these two other gentlemen. And we're going to speak directly to the people. And we're going to tell them the truth. We're not going to hide or obfuscate the, the text of the Constitution that we just spent months fighting over and writing. So... And he basically tells them that your opposition to the Constitution is, is highly dubious. And it's based on preconceived jealousies and fears. Now, these weren't uh, local politicians he was taking a swipe at in his text for Federalist Number 1. These were people that were... Um, anti-federalist and were some pretty big heavy hitters like Thomas Jefferson and Patrick Henry and George Mason and Sam Adams and the governor of New York, George Clinton. Um, he basically blasted them <laughs> in his, in his soliloquy as they, I don't know, the way that they wrote back then, it, it was always like, um, uh, I, I equate that style of writing to uh, like a, a southern woman or a southern mom saying, oh, bless her heart. <laughs> anyway, he basically said that the anti-federalists uh, were ignorant, self-seeking, wrong-headed, um, and said that any debate surrounding the Constitution needs to be conducted with moderation and level-headedness. So the Anti-Federalists pretty much took that, took his words to heart um, and took it to mean as it was intended, basically telling the Anti-Federalists that they needed to be quiet while the Federalists held the floor. <laughs> But the thing that is is interesting, and I'm going to read you part of it, um, is is in their introduction and how they how they framed it. Even though 
Hamilton is credited with writing Federalist Number 1, he tells them, A, be quiet, B, quit your griping, because you're griping based off of fears that, uh, you know, you're going to lose your, your power and your position or something like that. Um, you, you might, you know, you're, you're afraid you're going to lose your job or, or things like that. And, and that wasn't the case at all. So they basically say, or what he writes is, quote, My arguments will be open to all and may be judged of by all. They shall be at least... They shall at least be offered in a spirit which will not disgrace the cause of truth. I propose in a series of papers to discuss the following interesting particulars. And he's referring to the Constitution there. Uh, so the, and he tells them right up front that the following 84 papers, which they didn't know how many they were going to write at the time, they were just writing and writing, and then submitting them for publication. But these were these were learned men. These guys had school. They had been in school a long time, and school back then was a lot different than it is now. Um, these men studied everything, everything, every previous war, all of the different types of government being employed around the world. Uh, they they spoke multiple languages. They were businessmen, they were farmers and lawyers and, and politicians, and they, they had done more by the time they were 20, 25 years old than most people do today in their lifetime, all right? So when they write, they generally don't have to spend a lot of time doing revision, I guess is my whole point behind that. Um, and they wrote everything out in longhand and then gave it to the printer, and the printer then put it in the typeset. They didn't have their own little typewriter at home. So Hamilton spells it out. He says, okay, we've got a bunch of papers coming. They're, they're for the people of New York. Don't pay attention to the people that are making all the noise, people of New York. They're, they're misguided and they're not basing any of their rhetoric and fears on anything centered in fact and truth. So he says, I'm going to write a series of papers to discuss the following interesting particulars. The utility of the Union to your political prosperity, the inefficiency of the present Confederation to preserve that Union the necessity of a government at least equally energetic with the one proposed to the attainment of this object, the conformity of the proposed constitution to the three principles of Republican government, its analogy to your own state constitution, and lastly, the additional security which its adoption will afford to the preservation of that species of government to liberty and to prosperity. Oh, I'm sorry, and to property. In the progress of this discussion, I shall endeavor to give a satisfactory answer to all the objections which shall have made their appearance that may seem to have any claim to your attention. So, he basically said, yeah, yeah, I hear you, and here's how I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. 
<laughs> it's like having an argument with your wife. <laughs> Here. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Let me tell you why you're wrong, Dave. That's what that feels like when I, me when I read that. So, and that's it. See, that's your, that's your lesson. That's Federalist Number 1 by Alexander Hamilton. It's basically an introduction to all of the other Federalist papers that are going to be published. And each one of those um, letters, or, or essays, if you will, they're going to go and explain each of the sections of the Constitution. So you've got the advantages of the Union, and you've got the Senate, the House of Representatives, general powers, powers of taxation, common defense, um, the need for a strong uh, uh, military. No, that can't be right. Strong executive, sorry. I, I read the word, I don't know, it did something weird on my page. Um, and then lastly, they get into the, the, the setup for the judiciary. So they cover all of it from, from top to bottom in the Constitution, and they write an essay that explains how each one of those entities, as defined in the Constitution, is supposed to work. All right? See, that was pretty easy. That was painless. <laughs> All right, guys. That's it for me. Um, not sure what I'm going to talk about next week. So, well, you know I'm going to cover the news because you know Biden and his administration is going to do something stupid. But we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll draw some inspiration. And, you know, we could cover Fairless number two. Uh, or I could come across something else. You never know. Have a good week. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> <laughs>